You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Hey everyone, it's Roy Wood Jr. You're about to listen to a special episode of Beyond the Scenes featuring sports journalist and CBS soccer analyst Grant Wall, which was recorded before his tragic and untimely passing at the World Cup in Qatar. Grant was an amazing person and passionate advocate for LGBTQ plus rights. We were so grateful to have known and interviewed him for this episode. We offer our most sincere and deepest condolences to Grant's wife, Celine, and his entire family at this very difficult time. Welcome to Beyond the Scenes, the podcast that goes deeper into segments and topics that aired originally on The Daily Show. This this, this podcast, let me explain this podcast to you. You ever go to a sporting event and you go to watch a game and root for your favorite team, but while you're at the game, there's also camaraderie. Everybody in the stadium doing the wave, the kiss cam, t-shirt guns, overpriced hot dogs. There's just something about a stadium hot dog that tastes better than any other hot dog. That's what this podcast is. I'm Roy Wood Jr. And today we are talking about FIFA and the World Cup and all of the controversy surrounding the decision to host the 2022 Men's World Cup in Qatar. Today, I'm joined by Daily Show writer and super soccer fan, Joe Opio. Or should I say football? Which one are you going to make me say today, Joe? I think I've been, um, I think I've been colonized by America. I think soccer is fine, you know, and most of my friends back home will be horrified by that. But yes, yeah, soccer is fine. I'm fine with soccer. I think America has broken me. Yes. Your Ugandan passport has just been revoked. Uh, Anyway, always good to have you on, Joe. Uh, Our next guest also joining us is coming to us from Qatar. He is a sports journalist and soccer analyst for CBS Sports and a New York Times bestselling author, Grant Wall. Grant, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Now, let's dive right in and just have you set the stage for our listeners for what the controversies are surrounding Qatar hosting the FIFA Men's World Cup. And also, what what has your experience been like so far over there? Yeah, I've been here for about five days. Um, and it's my third trip to Qatar. I came in 2013 to do a magazine story. I came back to Qatar in early 2022 to do another story and talk to migrant workers here uh, about their experiences and and just got back this week. And, you know, compared to 2013, so much has been built, like literal cities have been built out of the desert and sand since I first came. And so it's incredible to see how much money has been spent here. It's the richest country in the world, GDP wise. 
and $200 billion have been spent on this World Cup when you add up all the infrastructure costs. So it's by far the most spent on any sporting event in history. We know that there were a lot of injustices that happened because, like you said, they built up entire cities almost in the course of 10 years. They announced that you get in the World Cup and then they hurry up and build a bunch of stadiums because we got to play soccer at the same time and we need all these stadiums all at once, which means you have to bring in workers. And I would imagine this is not like when we had the Olympics in Atlanta and most everything was above board in terms of construction and how the workers were treated. Uh, talk, talk to us a little bit more specifically about some of the atrocities that were happening during just the construction of the infrastructure for this to happen. Well, more than 90% of the workforce in Qatar is migrant workers. So non-Qataris who come here from the Indian subcontinent, from East and West Africa, from Southeast Asia, and take jobs in construction, uh, domestic work, um, hotel work, all sorts of things. And they had this thing called the kafala system, not just in Qatar, but in other Gulf states for decades and decades. It still exists in a lot of places that essentially has been compared to modern day slavery because you had employers literally taking the passports of their workers, which prevented their freedom and movement. And a lot of them were not paid or not paid enough they were dying but in great numbers, working in the heat here, which is oppressive. It's like 120 in the summer. I mean, that's why you're talking about 6,500 at least migrant worker deaths in Qatar since they got the World Cup in 2010. And obviously that's not just connected to stadium building. That's the infrastructure of the entire country. But you're talking about a lot of dead migrant workers, very little investigation into cause of death. You're talking about... Um, treatment of women uh, that is concerning um, in terms of needing permission from fathers and husbands to do things that women don't need permission to do uh, in other parts of the world. You're talking about a country that outlaws being gay. And so a lot of those, all those things have been coming up in discussion around this tournament. So we have this, this nation who also is like never like fielded a World Cup team in the last 20 or so World Cups with all of these indignant, oppressive rights, then bringing in people who are dying to build all of, while building all of this stuff. How the hell does Qatar get the World Cup in the first place? What the hell happened? How did this even get approved, Grant? So the vote was taken in 2010 by 24 men, all men at FIFA, and... According to the U.S. Department of Justice, there were bribes paid, lots of money, into the pockets of the voters. Now, to be clear, this wasn't the only time that's happened for the World Cup or for the Olympics. So Russia paid bribes for 2018. Salt Lake City paid bribes to host the 2002 Winter Olympics. Yeah, but those are Mormon bribes. They don't hit the same. That's a different type of bribe. <laughs> and so FIFA and the International Olympic Committee are... Corrupt organizations. Let's be very clear here. And that's how Qatar got the World Cup. Okay. You're there. You're on the ground. What is the mood like? Is it festive? Is it chill? How are the locals treating you? Does it feel like you're in a twilight zone? Or does it feel like, like, like for an example, most cities that host Super Bowls ship their homeless people out to the suburbs, to shelters out in the suburbs, to clean up downtown. 
And I was in Atlanta, one, and I've played Atlanta for 20 years for stand-up, so I know what downtown Atlanta's supposed to feel like. And I've also been downtown Atlanta during the Super Bowl, and it wasn't the same vibe. So over there, what is it like? What has your experience been like on the ground? You know, wherever the World Cup takes place, I call it World Cupsville. It's not a natural reflection of what that place is like when the World Cup is not happening. You know, they want to put their best foot forward, the hosts. They want to feel like they're welcoming the world. They want people to have a good time and think positive things about Qatar. People are pretty conflicted, though. Journalists are conflicted about being here. I'm conflicted about being here. Fans are conflicted about being here. I love the World Cup. I think it's the best sporting event in the world, right? And, and yet all of the reasons that we were talking about earlier have me conflicted about this World Cup. And that's natural. And so you do have some people I know boycotting the World Cup saying they're not going to watch the World Cup because of all this. And I respect that if that's your choice. I realized a while back, probably around the Russia World Cup, that... As a journalist, I should be here and doing independent journalism because if all the journalists who are conflicted don't come, then the journalism that does get done isn't going to be an accurate representation of everything. Okay, so World Cupsville. World Cupville, how do you say it, Joe? I ain't never been to it. You the one been to the World Cup. How much of that, what Grant is talking about, have you seen yourself when you're there on the ground? in visiting these countries. do you? Because, Joe, you strike me as one of them people also. You don't just go to the World Cup and stay around the World Cup. You seem like one of them people that just be off on another side of town where they ain't even studying soccer. Now, yeah, you know, part of the World Cup, part of the experience of the World Cup is getting to immerse yourself in the culture of the country. Because remember, this goes on for a whole month. And so you tend to want to feel... There's, there's a vibe around... If you go to a friend's house and they're hosting a party... That party is not a true representation of how your friend lives your life. Uh, first of all, there's not as much alcohol. There's not as many maybe pretty women. There's not as much a rapport between people. And so World Cup is the World Cup is the same. When I went to Russia, frankly, because of the obsessive Western coverage of the coldness of Russian people, I didn't expect to get any kind of reception. But when we arrived in Russia, Russian people are not as fluent in English. But they had come across a hack, and the hack was you speak into your phone, then Google translates what you've said into Russian, and then the Russian person would speak into your phone, and then Google would translate back what they said into English, and that's how we're communicating with Russians. And they were very, very willing to help. It's almost like wow. the same disconnect uh, people have when they come to New York, because you're told New Yorkers are cold and harsh and they will never help strangers and they'll swear at you if you stop uh, suddenly on the pavement. But when you actually ask a New Yorker, hey, how can I find my way to this spot? Or hey, which train takes me to? New Yorkers are very willing to step out to really yeah. help you find your way. So it's almost like the same thing. And I feel like the same thing happened in in uh, in, in uh, Brazil. The same thing happened in South Africa. Um, the reality on the ground is different from what's portrayed. And that's partly because people are trying to put their best foot forward. People are trying to hold the most memorable World Cup. No one ever wants to hold a World, a World Cup and get negative reviews on Yelp. Everyone is trying to get that five star. Yeah. People in the country are trying to be the best possible host they can be. And so when you go to, when people when people go to Qatar, they're going to be surprised 
I'm sure the same way I was surprised when I went to Russia, the same way I was surprised when I went to South Africa. Now, Grant, why do you think that countries like Qatar or Russia pay and bribe to have these tournaments here? Like, what is the value in being able to host something as coveted as the World Cup? What is the worth of that to them? It's unlimited, the, the value to these countries. It's, the word is sports washing. That's why so many authoritarian countries have wanted to be associated with the World Cup and the Olympics because they feel like it will burnish their image globally by hosting these events. Oh, Germany and, must not be a bad place. That Hitler guy's okay. <laughs> Jesse Owens was over there running, right? Damn, you're right. This goes way back. <laughs> it's not new. You know, we've seen this. Uh, the 1934 World Cup took place in Mussolini's Italy. Uh, the 1978 World Cup took place in Argentina under a military junta that killed thousands of their own citizens. So it's not a new phenomenon, but we're in a stretch when so many authoritarian countries have been hosting the big sporting events, you know, whether it was the Russia World Cup or Winter Olympics, the China Winter and Summer Olympics, Qatar. And for a while there, even the only bidders for these events were authoritarian countries. It seemed like democracies were stopping you know, their bidding. That's changing a little bit starting in 24 with Paris and in those Olympics. 26 World Cup's gonna be in the US, Canada, and Mexico, and the 28 Olympics are gonna be in Los Angeles. So this World Cup actually is sort of the end of a stretch of almost exclusively authoritarian countries hosting these events. Well, for now, to the get their money up and they can come back strong once crypto bounces back. <laughs> what is it exactly that you think that concerts, specifically that nation, what is it they're wanting to show on this global stage to the world? What are their, what are their motives? I think they want to differentiate themselves to the wider world from other Gulf states. They kind of want to say, we're better than Dubai or Abu Dhabi or Bahrain or Saudi Arabia or whomever in the region that hasn't gotten the hosting rights for a World Cup. And Qatar has really tried to do this through sports. This is like this, the facilities on the ground for sports in this country are incredible. They have this place called the Aspire Academy that all these big European soccer clubs come and train at in uh, the preseason. You know, they've hosted major sporting events like the World Track and Field Championships in Qatar. They've hosted the Asian Games, uh, the Asian Cup soccer tournaments coming here. So they want to be associated with marquee sporting events and separate themselves from other countries in this region. Okay, so we've set the table on the history of the corruption. Let's dig a little bit deeper into this topic after the break. This is Beyond the Scenes. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year 
equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Joe, as a fan of soccer, and this is a lot of FIFA's corruption we've known about for some time, how egregious does it have to be before the average soccer fan goes, okay, now I care enough to not watch? Or is the sport of soccer, like once the whistle blows and the game is being played, it is beautiful. Will that always be enough to supersede this type of corruption in the eyes of the fans? I think the fans have already had their say. Uh, Grant will testify to this. Fans know that FIFA is corrupt to the core. And um, you see this every time the FIFA president comes out to say present the trophy or any time the FIFA president is announced coming into the stadium. He's always roundly booed by everyone. And uh, fans <laughs> feel that the game has been captured by the mafia. FIFA, as uh, Grant said, FIFA as well as the International Olympic Committee, are basically, they are mafia organizations, that's what they are. But then fans feel this about all the elites who have taken their loved games, their beloved games hostage. You see it in the NFL. Every time Roger Goddell is supposed to present the Super Bowl trophy, you know, he is roundly booed. And yeah. so fans have had their say, but the thing is there's only so much fans can do because they love the game and their love for the game is being weaponized by these elites uh, to make deals and to make money. Now, when you talk about FIFA and um, the World Cup and the corruption in the World Cup, FIFA is a corrupt organization. And I feel like every time countries enter into the bidding rights for the World Cup, you're basically entering into a bidding process that's being organized by the mob. And if you're doing that, then it's almost naive to go in expecting to play clean and fair and win. This is going to be a dirty process because it's being organized by a dirty organization and money is going to exchange hands. And money has exchanged hands for, I think, as long as I think the World Cup has existed, at least since the 70s. You know, you've had countries bribing their way uh, to win the World Cup. Um, the first World Cup I attended was in South Africa. There's been evidence that South Africa uh, used bribes to get that World Cup. South Africa and the organizers will deny it until the day they die. Before that, the World Cup was in 20. 2006 in Germany, and there was talk of bribes allegedly exchanging hands because the leader of the Oceania Federation uh, was supposed to be voting for South Africa, uh, but then he pulled out and he abstained, and that's how the World Cup ended up going to Germany. If he had voted, I think the vote would have been 12-12, and then Safe Blatter would have used his vote to send the World Cup to South Africa. And the guy just on the day changed his mind, abstained, broke the hearts of an entire continent, Africa. But this has been happening. Russia clearly happened as well. But the thing is, I almost feel like 
Anytime countries get into the bidding process, this is expected. Otherwise, you're not going to win. If you go in expecting to play fair and square, but you know this is a process that's being um, overseen by an organization like FIFA, then uh, you're being naive and you get exactly what you deserve. How does the media's coverage around these countries, like, how does that also shape the public's perception of what's happening? You know, and, and then on top of that, Grant, as somebody covering the World Cup, how do you approach your commentary on topics like this? Does the media have influence? And if so, how does that change how you approach all of that? Have you had any, like, is the media even suppressed over there, Grant? Like, did, are people following you around and going, what are you looking at? Who are you? Why are you asking all those extra questions, motherfucker? Stop it. I mean, let's be honest here. I assume whenever I'm in Russia or China or Qatar, I'm being watched. And I don't think that's being paranoid. So if they're in on this conversation, hey, guys, I won't have anything to hide. And, you know, I also know. If you're listening over have- there, Qatar right now. Hello, my name is Robert Jr. My routing number is three. Send me some of that. Money. <laughs> Go ahead, Greg. And so. Like I also know that I have a certain amount of power as a journalist carrying a U.S. passport, and I can do journalism over here and do it independently. Just the other day, I wrote about what happened when I was in line to get my accreditation, and the security guard comes over to me. I had just taken a picture while I was waiting of the, the tournament slogan on the wall, and he tells me, no pictures, sir. And then I'm like, I look at him, and he's, he says, kindly delete it, sir. And I've never had a security person tell me to delete something off my phone in my life. And it's not a huge thing, but it does give you a sense of how the culture works over here and how authorities exercise influence and and power to try and prevent things from happening, even if it's an innocuous photo of a slogan on a wall. So my question is what happens when it's, somebody protesting here or carrying or wearing a rainbow flag to support the LGBTQ community? Are you going to have security guards come up to them and detain them for wearing a rainbow flag? What about people who have a few beers at one of the fan events? It's really hard to get alcohol here. Are they going to do something with drunk fans? There's some miscommunication that happens and situations can escalate very quickly, even as Qatar supposedly is trying to welcome the world here. I'll say this, Roy, about uh, the media coverage. As someone who has uh, gone to a few World Cups, and I say this from past experience, as uh, South Africa, Brazil, and uh, Russia, I feel like the Western media, every time the World Cup is held in a country that's not sufficiently white, so to speak, uh, or sufficiently Western, the Western media, I feel, indulges in an orgy of fear-mongering. And some of the questions they ask are legitimate, uh, but they are relentless and they sometimes go over the top. So I'll go to the South African World Cup. Before that World Cup, the Western media went on and on about the high crime rate in South Africa, which was legitimate. The crime rate in South Africa was high. But then the Western media made it seem like if you attended that World Cup, basically you are putting your life at risk. I was in South Africa. Nothing (laughs) like that happened. Uh, we went to Brazil, same thing happened. They talked about the favelas because Western media always focuses on the worst parts of the country. And again, that's also legitimate. But they went on about, you know, they went on about how, you know, the street muggings, how the favelas are a problem. And they told people essentially, you shouldn't go to Brazil or you only go, if you go to Brazil, you're going to risk your life. 
went to Brazil, nothing like that happened. Russia, same thing. Russian media were obsessive about the Russian people and our one were coming, they would be and our cold, they would be. I went to Russia, had the greatest time in my life because the people of Russia actually wanted to, if anything, counter the negative perceptions and stereotypes that have been peddled by the Western media. And some people will go like, oh, but the Western media, you know, they have legitimate issues and concerns. And the problem here is, and I can't blame the media because they are trying to see the thing or they are trying to process the culture through the Western lens. And that's how they're supposed to because they don't have the same information as the people on the ground. So let's say America, if there's a mass shooting in America, the rest of the world doesn't believe that if you come to America, you're going to get shot up just walking on the street. The rest of the world has an understanding that America is a lot bigger than Virginia Tech. America is a lot bigger than Colum uh, than Sandy Columbine, Hook. America, yeah, yeah is a lot bigger than Columbine. But the Western media goes like, if there is a war happening in one part of the country, then that entire country is a war-torn country. Or if there is crime in certain parts of the country, then crime is happening all over the country. And so, mm -hmm. same thing I feel with Qatar. Because, people, you know, Qatar has... And it has to be said, it has a very, very, very horrible maybe human rights record, especially when it comes to LGBTQ people. But I don't think they're going to be rounding up gay people in Qatar because the amount of scrutiny that brings, Qatar doesn't want that kind of attention. So when if you're an LGBT person, so you're thinking... Gay amnesty oh, is what you're saying. No, no, the you thing is because... Have your flag this be week. Because the World Cup brings such global spotlight on a country. It's almost like... If you have a friend and your friend doesn't have their life together, they don't shower, they stay in their mom's basement, those are the friends you want hosting parties. You know why? Because they'll clean up. And for me, I believe because of all these uh, legitimate concerns that people are raising, from a purely comedic standpoint, all these problems with Qatar, you know, the, their human rights record, the corruption, um, the migrant worker deaths, which are very, very tragic, I believe because of those concerns, actually Qatar is deserving of the World Cup. It's the most deserving country, I think, besides North Korea. I always believe that the World whoa, Cup... Whoa. No, no. <laughs> Hear me out. I always believe because the World Cup brings such a glare of spotlight on the country, it almost forces the country to look, it, to look at itself in the mirror and reflect. So if you are a migrant mm. worker in Qatar, because these things have been happening forever, you know, the kafala system that uh, Grant talked about, it has been in existence forever. Uh, it's in existence in all the other Gulf and Middle Eastern countries. But because Qatar is hosting the World Cup, the world's media came and started, because what the media does is they come and they look under yeah. every rock and they force you to either question or deal with the problems in society. So Countries like Qatar or countries like North Korea, remember, they thrive by isolating themselves from the world. So before Qatar got the World Cup, I think it was the least known of all the Gulf states. But now because of the attention that the World Cup has brought, Qatar has been forced, like your friend who doesn't have their life together, to almost to try to make... Because yeah, everybody's yes, coming Yes, exactly, over. yeah. They're trying okay. to make reforms. Whether those reforms will have a lasting impact or not is debatable. But they have been forced to really look themselves in the mirror because the whole world is looking at them. Okay, but Joe, Joe, I understand what you're saying. Everybody's coming over. That friend's going to take a bath. Whether or not that friend will continue to Taking take baths bath. mm. after the party ends is the question that remains to be seen. We'll be right back. The wait is over. 
The Shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash TheShot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Joe, I feel like the World Cup is a little different than the Olympics in the sense that the World Cup is a singular event. Multiple facilities for a singular event. So you're building the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again, all in a region, so that you can have all these games at the same time. Whereas the Olympics is a bunch of different events, a bunch of different stuff. So when the Olympics come and go from an area, those facilities tend to be outfitted a number of different ways. Like Montreal, that ended up being the stadium where the Montreal Expos ended up playing for a while. Atlanta Braves, the Olympic Stadium in Atlanta, ended up being Turner Field for a couple of years, for you know, for a number of years for the Braves before they moved up north to the suburbs. So the difference, though, I think with the World Cup is that that's not always the case. These countries spend billions of dollars building all this new infrastructure for the games. But, Joe, just break down for the people what happens to a city once the games leave? Like, are these infrastructures really adding value? No, most of them become white elephants. And I take your point. Uh, there's a huge critical difference between the World Cup and the Olympics. First of all, the Olympics are held in a single city. It's always Salt Lake City or Atlanta. It's not the whole USA. And the World Cup is held across the entire country. So that's the argument most people have when you send the World Cup to countries in the third world because they believe that the countries have to use very precious resources to cater to the needs of the World Cup. So South Africa spent lots of money that it could have spent maybe on social programs building the World Cup, or rather building stadium for the World Cup, building the infrastructure for the World Cup. And when the World Cup left, you found that these couldn't be retrofitted, as you said, uh, to serve other purposes besides the World Cup. Same thing happened in uh, Brazil. And the argument always is maybe these countries are not ready. But then the counter argument is then that means that only Western countries will ever deserve to host the World Cup because America already has enough stadiums. England already has enough stadia. And the counter argument is if you keep the World Cup in only countries that have the infrastructure to host the World Cup, then the World Cup becomes a very, it stops being the World Cup. It becomes this like very elitist, Tournament that's held, yeah, that's held in only, yeah, that's only that's held in only developed countries, and you have to remember, football is not a game for only the developed countries. Football actually is a game played mostly in these poorer countries, and so people argue that despite the logistical problems, maybe these countries deserve the World Cup because of the contribution 
they give to the game. But if on the other side of that, if this country is not ultimately bettered by the World Cup being there, then what have they truly gained other than a couple of weeks of TV exposure? Like, because most countries lose money they lose hosting money, the yes. World Cup. So, yes, you have, like, to, you, have to, you have to remember that when FIFA comes, when FIFA gives you the World Cup, one of the first conditions they put in place is the money they make from the World Cup as FIFA will not be taxed. So if FIFA comes to South Africa and makes $5 billion, all the $5 billion is leaving South Africa tax-free. Uh, that's, the power, that's the power of FIFA. So you say, with all that, how do these countries benefit? And you forget the one thing that every human has, and that's ego. It's the bragging rights. South Africa is still the only country in Africa to host the World Cup. Qatar is going to be the first country and probably the only country in a long time to host the World Cup in the Middle East. The bragging rights and the brand value from hosting the World Cup is almost incalculable. The visibility, the PR opportunities, they're incalculable. So the countries are willing to take the economic hit just for the intangible and tangible value of hosting this uh, tournament. But you look at a lot of, like, like 2014 World Cup in Rio, that stadium is a ghost town now. Like that stadium, vandals have come in, they've ripped out seats, they've taken the televisions. In Brazil, you got a bunch of stadiums in just random ass parts of the country, state of the art stadiums mm. that are just not being used at all. All these road and rail lines that were built to get people to all of those stadiums during the World Cup. And now they're absolutely just just a big-ass scab on a region that probably could have used something that would help the people on a more regular basis. So, you know, I understand the diplomacy of it and the PR, the good PR that it brings to the country. But if the money is not going back to the people at some point, how much of it is a good thing? Does that make it good-ish? And and the thing is, you have to remember uh, that Brazil of all countries is the best placed country to have taken advantage of the infrastructure because it's a football mad country. They have a well-developed soccer culture. So, but they still didn't take advantage because as you said, you know, they stayed here. Most of them are now white elephants. But the argument you are making about whether this is a good thing uh, presupposes that governments always have their priorities, right? They don't. Most governments like, don't see things the way you're seeing them. So some people would say the U.S. should it be hosting the World Cup in 2026 or should they use the money that they're going to pump into the World Cup to maybe have a better social program. Yes, pay teachers, ensure that their students are not locked in this like education, yeah, the, 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 the debt trap, yeah. Maybe ensure that U.S. citizens don't always stand to go fund me as their primary healthcare system. All these are questions that could be asked. But the thing is, governments don't always have their priorities right. And the World Cup is such a huge opportunity, especially for if I'm the ruling government and I host the World Cup, I'm almost assured to win the next election because the World Cup is also a tool or almost like a, 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 a pill that helps people forget their daily problems. And so hosting it is a huge deal, not just to the people, but to the governments as well. Now, Grant, soccer as a sport in the last 10 years, I would argue, has become very political. It has become a place where people are gone to make statements. Hashtag stop racism on the turf. Uh, there are many soccer teams that to this day are still taking a knee in honor of George Floyd. And so it's hard 
to have a sport that is swims in a little bit of corruption and not have teams speak out on it. So, you know, we've, we've had teams like like Denmark. They've already started to broach the human rights abuse issues through their jerseys. You know, they're having markings that speak out about what's been happening. Is that a meaningful way to protest? And if it's that deep to you, what's stopping a country like Denmark from just competing altogether? Why still show up? You know, we haven't seen a, a boycott of an Olympics or World Cup since 84 when the the Eastern Bloc nations didn't come to Los Angeles four years after the Western nations, a lot of them boycotted the, the Olympics in Moscow. I do think since then, there has been kind of um, a conventional wisdom that that was overly harsh on the athletes that only have these events once every four years in their short careers. And that it was punishing those athletes too much. So what we've seen more recently are diplomatic boycotts. So the U.S. and some other Western nations had a diplomatic boycott of the Winter Olympics in China. That's what we've seen to an extent. But like, I, I never really expected any boycott mo- movements for this Qatar World Cup to get off the ground. There was never any serious threat from a country about that. And we're not seeing it. But I do think we're going to see some protests of some sort, you mentioned the ones, I, I still think it's possible that certain players, certain teams may do it here and want to call attention to things. If a country tried to boycott the World Cup, the penalties from FIFA would be severe because FIFA would move like a, the mafia organization it is to nick up you. What they would do is they would ban you from the next, like probably 10 editions of the World Cup. Let's use you as an example. And so, and, and that's before we even get into the, pushback and backlash from fans in the country if the country tried to boycott the World Cup. The fans would not have it, but more than even the fans, FIFA would not have it. They would ban that country. They would come down. FIFA is very good at coming down hard on any countries that try to, let's say if you have a federation that's corrupt and your government tries to replace that federation because the federation is clearly corrupt, FIFA would ban the entire country till that federation is put back in place. They had an instance where, you know, athletes were trying to wear human rights for all on their warm-up kits. Can I just say yay, people, while I warm up? And FIFA was like, take that shit off immediately. Don't you put that on. So, Grant, if, if the block is that hot for a country who's trying to have some level of protest while being a part of a tournament... What ripple effect does that have on individual players? Because, you know, the players are the ones with the microphones in front of them asking to comment on all of this stuff. Like when individual athletes talk about politics or about social justice, people love to say, just shut up and play the game and leave the politics out of it. How are the athletes carrying this? Are they going full LeBron? I can't breathe shirts. Are they going full WNBA blacked out T-shirts during warmups? Like how motivated or hesitant are athletes to speak out on injustices? What we're seeing with the U.S. team is they're going to uh, bring back their Be the Change campaign. I think you're going to see Be the Change on their warm-up gear because they started doing that after George Floyd's murder by police in 2020. They had the Be the Change on the front of their warm-ups and they had their own message that they individually chose on the back. I think that's what we're going to see here in Qatar because 
they can say then, well, we've used this in the United States. We're not just doing this for Qatar. We're talking about having, you know, encouraging people to be the change themselves in their community and what they do. And it communicates something. I don't know if it's the strongest message. It's not like they're going to get sanctioned by FIFA, I don't think, the U.S. team for, for doing that. Um, well, what you going to do, ban the U.S. team? They be, having, they be struggling to qualify half the time anyway. <laughs> they have a, they, they have a good With respect, now, I, I fully support the team, man. Please they do have, a good job. Yeah. I love all of y'all. They have a great young core. I love I, I think the U.S. team. I think they're building up towards something special in 2026. They don't have yet the tournament experience, I think, to have the kind of impact they hoped to have in this World Cup. But this is a great launch pad for 2026 when they I, will be at least inching towards their prime. They have a good, strong core. I think regardless... Players. I think regardless of if the U.S. team is competitive all the way into the round of four or whatever, the American team has always been one of the most politically influential presences at any international sporting competition. I think a lot of people tend to follow the lead of the Americans. So that part of it, I think, is really dope. Okay, so we have covered everything terrible about what has corruption within FIFA. We have talked about people dying we have talked about mob bribes we have talked about getting getting you know stifled and smothered if you dare to speak out about anything while you're there to play soccer grant joe is there anything that makes you hopeful about the future of fifa is there is there any structural changes how do we fix this shit grant how do we how do we make meaningful change within fifa culture I get this question a lot. Has FIFA changed since all the arrests in 2015 after the U.S. Department of Justice sting operation arrested a lot of these guys? And I can't tell you with certainty. What I can tell you is the current FIFA president is basically following the set bladder playbook. The previous president who got to power just by giving as much FIFA money as possible to the individual member soccer federations in exchange for getting their votes in the FIFA election. That hasn't changed. That's only grown, in fact. More money than ever is going to the individual corrupt federations. And then the question is, are, are we, you know, is there so much corruption that we're going to see another sting operation like we saw in 2015? I don't know. We haven't seen that yet. But I don't think anyone thinks FIFA is some totally changed organization that suddenly is squeaky clean. And... They also want to make a lot of money in the sport. So that's why the World Cup is coming to the U.S. and Canada and Mexico in 26. It's going to have 48 teams more than ever. And they're going to, it's going to be the most lucrative World Cup ever for a really long time beyond that, too. Okay. So then if we're talking money, right there then, Joe, if we're talking money, Grant just said money is what makes this thing move. Fans bring the money. Sponsors bring the money. TV partners bring the money. What can the fans, the athletes, inspire, what can they do to help provoke FIFA kicking and screaming into some level of change? I'll say uh, first to address um, the sting operation by the US DOJ. That only happened because America lost the bidding rights to Qatar. If America had won, there's no way, there's no way um, the Department of Justice 
would have come out. The Netflix documentary about FIFA Uncovered, that only comes out because <laughs> America lost the bidding rights. If we had an indictment in our back pocket this, waiting listen, ready to go. Listen, the, the, the huge mistake FIFA made when it came to the Qatar bid is they messed with their own country because America went like, we're not going to take this bullshit lying down. If America was hosting the World Cup now, there's no way Netflix would have put out that documentary about FIFA corruption because that's not a great build-up to the World Cup. But when FIFA messed with the bull, it got the horns. And so, and what did the U.S. get in return? The U.S., after the U.S. Like, you know, did the sting and arrested a bunch of officials, and what did, the, what did the U.S. get in return? It got the World Cup. So, for me, the, <laughs> the, there's almost no way because as um, Grant says, there's a culture of corruption in FIFA and FIFA are untouchable in that sense and the fans can't boycott the game because the game is such a powerful and uh, potent symbol that everyone loves. It's almost the same problem that fans of the NFL have uh, with fans of, of American football rather with have racism with racism and the, concussions. Yes, yeah. and the NFL. Yeah. The NFL does almost, you know, domestic abuse is rife in the NFL. Criminality is rife in the NFL. And the NFL just looks the other way. And there's nothing almost that the fans can do. So it's it's that catch-22 because your love for the game is being weaponized by the people in charge. The thing is, the game is so beloved around the world. You just have to hope that with time, because the thing is, time always brings progress. You just have to hope that with time and... Uh, with this, maybe the spotlight becoming even tighter, the corruption will lessen, but reforms can only come from within. Joe Opio, we've covered a lot today, talking about the corruption and the wildness. We end with a single question to you, Joe. Are you going to Qatar for the 2022 World Cup? Most definitely. Uh, I've been to, I've been, I've, I've been to, uh, the, the thing, the thing is, I'll, I'll be you there. You talked all that shit and you still I, going. I love it. I'll be there That's because... That's a real fan. I'll be there because boycotting the World Cup would almost be like, um, again, football fans boycotting the Super Bowl. In a way, you're almost giving... The game has already been captured by FIFA and you're giving them the satisfaction of actually not separating the game itself from the people who have captured it. And that's why all, partly why all the teams are going as well. And um, some people say, oh, you should boycott the World Cup. And I'll, I'll say the same thing Grant said. Um, I believe maybe Qatar won't change, but the flood of fans who are going to go into Qatar, the number of foreigners are going to go into Qatar. When a culture meets with another culture, there's no way that culture remains unchanged. It's very true. So for that reason, I'm going to I'm going to the World Cup on a one man mission to change the culture in Qatar. Because everybody talks about trying to change the government to change the culture, but if you change the people inherently, you'll eventually change the government, which then will change the culture. So, Joe Opio, uh, I wish you happy trails over there overseas as you seek to change the country of Qatar one bar at a time. I, I just guess. hope I haven't said anything that will get me blacklisted at the border. It's okay. Uh, I hope they don't pull up the podcast like, uh, excuse me, was this you? Uh, we would like you to clarify <laughs> these views. Delete. Yes. Kindly, kindly oh, 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 delete. Kindly, kindly clarify these views before we stamp, we put an entry stamp in your passport. Grant Wall, <laughs> we look forward to all of your coverage with the 2022 World Cup. Please stay safe and uh, please kindly delete this podcast after you listen to it. 
If no. you don't mind, I don't want you <laughs> getting in any trouble. <laughs> Grant Wall, Joe Opio, thank you both for going beyond the scenes with us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Listen to The Daily Show Beyond the Scenes on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.